Sci-Fi and Fantasy Light and Dark is hosted by Anna Rose, the author of The Tales of the Dragon Guard and The Shimari Web. In addition to Anna, the cast will feature guest authors with discussions of their own work, the state of the genre, its history, its possible future, and more. Be aware that casts may include profanity. In addition, religion and politics may be discussed as they pertain to the genre, but care will be taken to keep those subjects as neutral as possible. Hello, and welcome to the Sci-Fi and Fantasy Light and Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Rose. When I'm not creating this podcast, I write books, take pictures, spend entirely too much time on social media, and generally behave like a fairly strange individual. But I remain mostly harmless, despite all of this. On today's cast, I'm pleased to welcome author Rowan Green, who is currently working on the first novel in his forthcoming Cardwalker Chronicles series of books. I had the distinct pleasure of reading some of the galleys as he's been working on the first novel, and honestly, I'm absolutely hooked on it. Full disclosure here, Rowan and I met over a shared love of the Rick and Morty animated show while we were in the same Facebook group, and later discovered that we had a whole lot more in common, some of which I can even share with you all. It's been a busy week of writing, real life, a bit of playing Diablo 3, and more. I wish I could spend all my time writing, but paying the bill sort of messes with that dream, so real life must be allowed to happen as it does. The response to last week's first podcast has been very good, and I'm more pleased than you could possibly know about that fact. Honestly, I was afraid that it would fall flat, and that possibility made me feel a bit apprehensive about doing it at all in the first place. Fortunately, I have supportive people in my life who have encouraged me to keep at it, get one done, and see where it would take me. So far, it's taken me to a pretty happy place, so I guess I'm doing something right so far. I've gotten several questions this week, but as we have our guest and there are other things that have to be addressed in this cast, I have decided on which to feature. Be assured, this doesn't mean that I won't necessarily get to your question, just that I can't get to it this week. The first question sent in by Kira is, when did you first realize you wanted to be a professional writer? Kira, as I've said earlier, I've been writing for as long as I can remember, pretty much, but I decided I wanted to write professionally when I was unable to find the kind of books I wanted to read. I was looking for vampire stories, and the ones I was finding out there were pretty much romances. You would have a vampire who hated what he or she was, and some innocent human would come by and work their magic with them, so to speak, and ultimately the vampire would become human again or something would happen. It was just ridiculous and it wasn't what I was looking for. I was looking for vampires who liked what they were, vampires who looked forward to the hunt, to being what and who they were, and I wasn't seeing that. So it was time to write my own and that's what I needed to do. And I knew I couldn't be the only person who was looking for something different and I decided a very long time ago that if I wanted something, I'd have to do it myself instead of waiting on someone else to do it. And thus, my first published novel was Shifra and I've never looked back. Our next question was submitted by Shannon. Inquisitive folks, a lot of you. What do you think makes a good story, she asked. 
That is an excellent question. I like a story with fleshed out characters. I don't like two-dimensional characters. I prefer them to feel like real people and have my readers actually care about them. I prefer that readers become involved in what I've written, if that makes sense. There needs to be a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it needs to be filled in properly in between those three portions. And all of that ultimately has to make sense when it goes together on the page, both physical and virtual. Otherwise, what's the point? And finally, question three wraps this up. It was submitted by Jonathan. What do you like to do when you're not writing? What do I like to do? Well, Jonathan, I like to read. I play online games like World of Warcraft and Diablo 3 with some very good friends. I take pictures with my DSLR. I refer to my Nikon D3S as the precious and no one else is allowed to touch it. Gollum can keep his ring. I've got my camera. Thank you again for taking the time to send me your questions and comments. Remember, if you send them via the voice messaging feature available at the anchor.fm site for my podcast page, I just might include it in a podcast. Well, providing that it doesn't violate podcast standards, but I think you can understand why that would be the case. Just like last week, I'll be sharing a snippet of my writing with you. This week, the snippet will be from something that hasn't had public exposure yet, but it's on my virtual cooktop. This week's bit of twisted inspiration is called The Thing in the Closet. So sit back, close your eyes, and enjoy this taste of, well, you'll find out. Finally laying down. She pulled the quilt over her head to hide from the dark and the frightening creatures that called at home and somehow managed to doze off. As she slept, her breathing was occasionally interrupted by a soft whimper, even sleep being unable to ease the depth of her distress, instead bringing terrifying nightmares to haunt her. The ragged music of crickets chirping and the occasional mournful wolf howl broke the silence of the night. The sound distorted a bit, through the hardened clay and straw walls of the cottage. Something skittered across the old thatched roof, sending bits of dirt and dry grass down onto the floor of the bedroom, the sound waking the child, who sat up in bed hoping it was her mama finally come home. Feeling just a little brave, she opened the curtains from the window over the bed, hoping to catch sight of something that would help her feel better. The soft glow of the full moon brightened the room a little bit, which helped it not be quite so dark and scary. Liking this result much better than total darkness, she decided that rather than close them again, she would leave them open. Tears welled in her eyes as she realized that maybe Mama was not going to come back after all, and maybe she was all alone now. She shuddered with sudden grief, and the brimming tears tumbled over the twin dams of her eyelids, crashing over her cheeks in a salty river of loss. The thing stepped out of the shadows of the closet. Approaching the bed, enormous clawed paws held out to catch the little human figure on the bed. It was something it had done since the little girl first started thinking there was a thing in the closet, perhaps a year ago. It was surprised that it did not see the other human in the bed, but that did not stop it. The other human never saw it in the night, as she had stopped believing in the thing in the closet long ago. The other human had other, more real fears of her own to face. She had no time for things. 
sensing something was very wrong as the little girl never cried, the thing came to a halt, half a hairy foot from the edge of the quivering bed. The thing felt the brush of the monster under the bed's questing tentacle, but otherwise ignored the creature. The thing once again reached out a hairy paw to the little girl as though to snatch her up. The child launched herself at its chest, grabbing hold of the dank pelt, pulling herself up higher and pushing her face into its matted fur, sobbing with all of her soul. The thing, taken aback, stood stock still at the unfamiliar contact, not knowing what it should do next. This was not normal. A tentacle curled around the thing's hairy calf. The monster was confused as well. Children screamed and hid under the covers when things and monsters were about. This was beyond their experience. Long minutes passed, and the thing found that the little girl's weight was painful to support with only shaggy fur for much longer than a moment. Moving slowly to avoid startling the child, the thing awkwardly put its long arms around her, being careful not to scratch her with its long, curved, ivory-colored claws. The little girl did not even tense up, instead throwing her arms around its neck and clasping her hands together behind it. The thing did not understand what was going on at all. Mama's gone, Mama's gone, she subbed into the thing's now wet pelt. I don't know where Mama's gone. A cautious tentacle stroked the little girl's back, leaving a damp outline on her nightgown, and the thing looked down to see the monster fully emerge from its den under the bed. The monster's expression was inscrutable, as it had no actual face, but it seemed it was as confused and concerned as the thing by this unexpected development. Coming to a decision, the thing sat on the bed, which made holding the child much easier as it gave it a lap to set her on. The monster pulled itself up onto the bed, taking up the space where the other human would have been had things been as they should have. The little girl continued to cry, and the thing waited to discover what would happen. Would she come to herself, realize what had happened, and go back to the natural thing-monster-child arrangement? Sometime later, that question was answered when the little girl took one last sobbing breath and sat back on the thing's lap, looking up at it. She scrubbed the tears from her cheeks and sniffed loudly. My mom is gone, she repeated, this time calmly but with a slight catch at the end. I don't think she's coming back. The thing looked down at the little girl, huge blood red eyes casting a glow across her pale cheeks. She shivered, but the thing felt no fear in her. Then it realized how cold the cottage's interior was with no fire to warm it. Reaching down, it picked up the quilt, which had fallen off the bed during the emotional firestorm, and wrapped it carefully around the child like a cloak. My name's Emma, she mumbled, wiping her tears away with the back of her tiny hand. What's yours? enough for you? Did it feel creepy? Did it sound like something you'd like to see all of? Please let me know. I look forward to hearing from you all about it. And now from that moment of darkness, we go on to something, no, someone a bit lighter. Please let me introduce Rowan Green, the author of the Cardwalker Chronicles. Hello, Rowan. Thank you so very much for coming on to the show. Would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself? For example, what do you do when you're not writing your fingers to the bone? Anything interesting? 
Sure, Anna. Thank you for having me. When I'm not writing my fingers to the bone, I tend to think about writing my fingers to the bone. My characters can be relentless. <laughs> Actually, uh, what I, in, in all seriousness, I usually try to spend some time outdoors. Uh, camping and being close to nature is important to me. If I'm not doing that, you can usually find me at a coffee shop or somewhere where I can find caffeine, because whomever invented coffee was a genius. It's wonderful to have you here, Rowan. I teased to our listeners about your forthcoming book. Could you share a bit about it? Like, say, the title? Uh, only good things, I hope, huh? The title is Perchance to Steam. The main character got pulled into a steampunk tarot deck, and I figured the title was inevitable. That sounds amazing. What inspired this? Do you use tarot cards yourself? Oh, yeah. I've always been into the tarot. And uh, I got to thinking one day, even if you don't subscribe to all the mysticism around the cards, they're a fantastic tool for storytelling. The tarot, after all, does tell the story of the fool's journey, the major arcana being the major influential people or huge life lessons that you learn along the way, and the minor arcana are the people and situations you find in everyday life. And so as I was thinking about that, I was looking over one of my tarot decks, and I thought, you know, what might it be like to have someone from our world go through that journey, which made me wonder what would happen if he actually became the fool in the deck. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where that went. I love my tarot cards. I, I find they speak to me both as a writer and as a person. You know, I've used tarot cards myself over the years. I, I've owned several of my favorite is the Tarot of the Old Path. It's a bit more witchy, I suppose, but I connected with it a lot better than with other decks. I know the classic first deck is the Rider Waite deck, but I actually don't like the feel of that deck in my hand. It was super weird. I bought a few others over the years, uh, but the one that's truly resonated with me is the Old Path deck. To be honest, I'm not really fond of the, the RMS deck either. I don't really get any negativity from it, but it just doesn't speak to me. I tend to leave it alone. Uh, I've actually used a number of decks over the years just trying to find one that really fit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And yeah. my first was The Art of Tarot by Liz Dean. More recently, I've been working with The Witch's Tarot by Eileen Dugan. And then there are some others that I use when I'm writing Perchance to Steam. But I think I'll leave that one kind of in the dark because I don't want to color the perception of the reader. That makes sense. Uh, do you have any uh, favorite or least favorite decks? Well, aside from the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, I'm not overly fond of the Marseille style of tarot deck. I tend to prefer having the minor arcana illustrated the same way the major arcana are, instead of having pips, kind of like playing cards, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I get that. I, I, I would think... I, for me, I like having illustrations there because then it kind of gives me an idea to focus because for me it isn't that you know cards can be intuitive i mean they, they technically mean a certain thing but sometimes to me anyways you can look at a card and it can speak to you maybe in a different way and to me that's when you have a relationship with the deck that that happens so getting back to your your your, your series here how many books are planned so far for the series have you got them planned out already or is that still a work in progress i'm a Assuming you've heard the description of plotters and pantsers, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm definitely a pantser. Right now, I have the story set up as a trilogy, but that might change, kind of depending on what my my story does and where my characters want to go. I'll admit to being a bit of a pantser myself. Uh, I know where my books are going to go, where things will happen and all that, but my characters sometimes drag me around their world instead of the other way around. 
Um, I've tried plotting, but I've come to realize it's just not me. I mean, part of it is, you know, you go and you write a situation, and I swear the character just says, I wouldn't do that. And I'm not going to do that. And at that point, it's like the muse decides she's going to go to the beach and get a tan and leave you behind staring at a blank screen because you can't come up with anything. <laughs> it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So how do you, when, when you're trying to get your stuff together, what do you do? Well, uh, I usually outline what I absolutely have to say in order to get the idea down on paper. But then, uh, like you, my uh, my characters tend to take the kicking and screaming approach. You know, <laughs> they do the kicking and I do the screaming. Yeah, indeed. It, it, it gets it gets frustrating. It, well, it can, but I think it's all part of you know how does the the writing process work and what the characters mm -hmm. decide to do. As far as my writing process goes, I tend to try and write in the mornings because that's when I find my mind is clearest and. Usually, like I was saying before, I'll, I'll write in a coffee shop because I like caffeine and the atmosphere, and that's where my characters seem to want to talk to me. I get that. I have a set office space set aside for my own writing. There's very little there to distract me, and I do that specifically, very, you know, limiting what I have. As I tend to suffer from what a friend once referred to as ADOS, which stands for Attention Deficit. Oh, shiny! Oh, shiny. She knows me really well. <laughs> That so it, 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 yeah, it, it, it does. Uh, sadly, um, it, it, it truly does. Um, is there anything else uh, before, you know, before I, I, I send you off to write some more that you'd like to share? Uh, not at the moment. We'll we'll kind of see what my characters decide to do. And you and I might uh, might have to catch up again and update it later on. That would be fantastic. Thank you so very much, Rowan. I, I really appreciate your, your being here and being willing to, to spend some of your very valuable time with us. Uh, I know what it's like, especially, I don't know if you had a burst of, of, re, of, you know, all this or whatever. But again, Rowan, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it so much. And I look forward to us being able to play together again. Um, you're an awful lot of fun. Well, thank you thank very you much. So and thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye now. Well, now that you've gotten to hear what Rowan sounds like talking about himself and what he's doing, here's a snippet from Perchance to Steam. I hope you enjoy it as much as I have been so far. Isn't it clear, fool? I'm you, the hermit replied, clearly fighting to bring his emotions under control. The fool passes to the hermit if he progresses far enough, but this? I thought to myself, looking over this disquieting older version of me. Aloud, I snapped, no you aren't, you're a nightmare. It's true, this unsettling version of me insisted. When you came here, you were going to a coffee shop to get sandwiches for Amanda and yourself because you were thinking it was going to be a long day. You invented chess here. Delphia almost made you choke on your cookies because she said they needed love. King Sterling called you a card walker. I hadn't told anyone about the title yet. There was no way anybody but me could know the king had called me that, except for Sterling himself. That unsettled me further, but I was still willing to give this man the benefit of the doubt. I sighed and asked, what happened to me that I became this? 
The hermit didn't answer for a long time, and when he did, the answer was no answer at all. I was just about to repeat myself when he seemed to get lost inside himself again. I had to try, he muttered. I couldn't just sit idle and let this happen. Not again. I was starting to lose my patience with this erstwhile figure, but I took a measured breath and tried again. Look, why don't we sit down and have a drink? Maybe you can collect your thoughts and tell me what in the name of the Mother Goddess is going on. The hermit snorted dursily. The Mother Goddess has no hand in this, self. Still, he suffered us to guide him to a bench and sat down across from Aletheia and me. I visualized three goblets, but he snatched his own before I could fill it. He got a familiar look on his face, and I realized he was doing a visualizing of his own. It seemed he was a lot better at it, as he managed it a lot faster than I could. It was only a moment later when he raised his goblets to his lips and drained it. Then he did the same thing three more times before I had even finished my first drink of lemonade. The alcohol helps keep me sober. You'd probably try to give me some worthless lemonade, fool that you are. He spat on the floor next to his bench. I glared at him for the apparent lack of respect for the grounds the royal family worked so hard to maintain. He glared back at me. I suppressed a shudder. It was like looking into some insane mirror. I took a moment to gather my thoughts before addressing him again. I thought you said you were me, I snapped, allowing just a hint of my irritation to come through. His reply was no less irritable. I am. I shook my head sharply, making my glare even more withering. I don't think so. I don't care what you look like. He looked at me like I was an idiot and said, and why would that be, fool? Because I can't stand any alcohol, I said, and any version of me would know that. I looked at him with a similar level of disdain. The hermit's laugh was just to the left of unhinged. Hearing my voice twisted in such a way sent chills down my spine. His humor didn't last more than a moment before it gave way to full-blown fury in a way I never allowed in myself. You don't know anything. You have no idea at all, he screamed. Fed up, I snapped right back. That's because you're too busy drinking to make any sense. His face twisted in a fury, and he hurled his goblet at me. You idiot. It's your fault this happened, and I have to live with your stupidity. Do you want to know what happened to cause this? Fine. See if you ever sleep well again, smash it all. It was... Here, the hermit faltered. His face blurred and his features lost definition. I went so far as to rub my eyes to make sure they still worked. A moment later, the hermit came back into focus. There's not much time, he muttered. The magic in the card can only last so long, and we've been through so much. It was because of him. He did this. And it was my fault. I should have known he would try to get back at me for it. And she had to. I shouldn't have let her out of my sight. We... The hermit seemed more confused than ever, as if whatever magic was anchoring him was beginning to fade. Rather than interrupt, I waited impatiently. I didn't want to risk breaking his concentration, but the lack of answers was starting to grate on my temper again. The hermit opened his mouth to speak, only to shut it a moment later with an audible snap. His focus had moved behind me, and I turned to see what had captured his attention. Felicia and Toria were wandering down the path toward us, evidently unaware of what was happening. Before I could say anything, the hermit jumped up and wrapped Toria in a tight hug, nearly bowling her over. The look on his face made it clear he was afraid to let her go. It took a moment for her to get over her shock, but once she did, she started yelling, Let go of me. Who are you? Get off. She then turned against his left thumb, broke his grip, 
and stomped on his foot hard enough to make me wince in sympathy. The hermit paid her no mind as he broke into fresh hysterics. He kept trying to re-establish his grip on her, muttering over and over again how sorry he was. Alethea and I dashed over but couldn't pry him loose. No matter what we did, all we could do was get him to say how sorry he was and how there was no time. Eventually, Toria managed to move just out of his reach. He lunged forward and grabbed hold of her wrist. Insanity fueled his strength, and I doubt even I could have extracted myself from his grip. Toria snarled loudly and then bit the hermit's hand as hard as she could. At the same time, Felicia kicked him in the shin. He screamed in agony and finally let Toria go. I saw the hermit card slip from his pocket as he tried to cradle his injured hand and leg at the same time. The hermit card was shining with a light of its own, unrelated to the sun overhead. Once he managed to gain some hold over himself, he turned to me and said, Stop. You've got to stop it. She. Suddenly, the space where he was standing was empty. His cane and lantern had disappeared as well. Whatever he had been trying to say was lost to the winds of fate, as whatever magic he was using was gone. We stood there looking at the space where he had been when Toria spoke, her tone one of pure anger due to his attack. What in the name of all the cards is going on? This has been the Sci-Fi and Fantasy Light and Dark Podcast, hosted by Anna Rose. If you have any questions or comments you'd like to make in regard to the program, please feel free to submit them on the Anchor.fm website or on Anna's Facebook page. Keep in mind that questions submitted via the voicemail system may be included in part or in their entirety on the podcast. So if you have an issue with that, ask your question via Anna's Facebook page or say something about your request when you leave the voice message. Our next podcast is expected to be released at this time next week. Until then, this is Anna Rose, wishing you a fantabulous day.